Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're listening. This is Davisville on KDRT-LP 95.7 FM in Davis, California. And you can find us online at kdrt.org slash Davisville. I'm Bill Buchanan. I am the host. Thank you for tuning in today. Well, the end of the year is a big time for giving. Today's show, however, doesn't concern donations to one specific cause or another. Instead, we're going to talk about local giving, what people in Yolo County like to give to, what inspires them to donate, and what doesn't, as measured by a survey of donors in the county, mostly in Davis, as it turns out. The survey comes from the Yolo Community Foundation, and joining us today to talk about all this is Jessica Hubbard, the Foundation's Executive Director. Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'll mention we're talking by Zoom still, so if you hear little Zoomisms in the background, it just goes with the territory, folks. Anyway, Jessica, let's start. If you could tell us a little bit about the Yolo Community Foundation, what's its purpose? So the Yolo Community Foundation's purpose is to inspire and support giving and provide philanthropic leadership in our diverse community of Yolo County. What that means in practice is that we work on inspiring donors to be excited about giving, to encourage them to give more especially locally, although not exclusively locally, to support philanthropists to achieve their giving goals and to be good donors to nonprofits, and then provide nonprofits with grants and training programs to help them maximize their impact on Yolo County. Okay, so you're sort of a professional shop for nonprofits in this region. Yeah, we do a lot of connecting between donors and nonprofits, helping donors understand community needs and understand how they can maximize their giving, and helping nonprofits to maximize their impact through dollars, the dollars they need to do their work, as well as to capacity building training and so on. Okay. So this annual survey that you do feels like it fits right into that because- absolutely. The intersection between our two core audiences. Yeah. But what you want to do is obviously understand what, what donors are interested in. Could you give us a few highlights of the one for 2022? Sure. Absolutely. So what we heard from our respondents is that, so this is an interesting timing, right? Because we do our survey- sort of October, November timeframe, knowing that November and December are the biggest months for giving throughout the calendar. So we ask our donors a little bit, our respondents to predict about how the rest of the year is going to go for them. So what we heard loud and clear was that donors expect to close out 2022 strong, that they're they're going to show up for nonprofits this year and giving campaign, which is really encouraging. This last month or two of the year makes or breaks a nonprofits fundraising calendar. And we also heard that they are a little bit more cautious about 2023. That's, of course, not a surprise looking at the stock market, looking at inflation, looking at how much uncertainty there is in the economy right now. But it's a little bit concerning because we've heard the last couple of years, you know, in our work in general and on last year's survey, we heard a lot of of people really doubling down on their commitment to philanthropy. And so I'm a little concerned that people are sort of letting up on the gas a little, even though times are still very hard for nonprofits. Okay. The survey says that the biggest influence that motivates giving is community need. And of course, people define that word need differently. I'm wondering what you understand it to mean in YOLO. I mean, are we talking about basic services or are we talking about things that maybe get a bit more, I don't know, esoteric? I think you're right that each individual donor defines that differently. So I think when people answer that question, what they're saying is, do they feel personally motivated by what they're hearing from nonprofits, what they're hearing in the media, what they're hearing from neighbors in need, do they they find those needs to be to inspire them to give? I do think that right now, and these past, you know, two and a half coming up on three years, there's been a particular focus on those basic needs, the sort of base of Maslow's pyramid, food, housing, mental health, 
safety, healthcare, and so on. But I do hope that donors are looking at that idea of need more holistically. I remember thinking in probably April 2020 that for organizations that were not direct responders to the crisis, we kind of needed people to sort of take a pause, sit back for a few months while we really focus funding on organizations providing basic needs, services, meeting basic needs, and that we'd get to them a few months down the road when things were better. But a few months has turned into what is this 20, 30 months coming, 40, 35 months. And what we're seeing is that it's decimating sectors of the nonprofit sector, right? Like arts and culture organizations across the board saw tremendous losses in funding. And and that's just not sustainable. So I hope community members think about basic needs. Absolutely. That's critical to so many neighbors right now. But also think about what kind of community they want to live in and what it takes to sustain that kind of community. So uh, when you referenced April 2020, that's right after the pandemic started. You kind of just gave us a quick rundown about how you and maybe other nonprofits responded. Could you tell us a little bit more or maybe take us through the impacts of the pandemic? When it hit in 2020, you know, everyone just sort of seized up, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. And, and then maybe there was a lot of response to it. Maybe the economy got a little better faster than people thought. But take us through that from a nonprofit perspective, particularly how it's been this year, 2022, because as you say, we're... We're almost three years into the pandemic now. Sure, absolutely. So what was interesting about the COVID-19 pandemic compared to a more isolated disaster. So if a normal disaster is an earthquake, a flood, something like that, there is a subset of nonprofits that are involved in the response effort. When When this disaster is the entire community shutting down, almost every organization is involved in response in some way. So I mentioned arts and culture organizations earlier. They often describe themselves as second responders. They're not the ones who are making sure people are fed and housed, but they are the ones that are providing the community engagement and helping people make meaning of the experience and providing some really critical services around mental health and around community um, connections. And that's true for every sector, right? Like, maybe environment, maybe even education weren't necessarily top of people's mind in the first few months of the pandemic. But ultimately, every virtually every nonprofit in Yellow County has been involved in pandemic response in some way, which is very distinct from other kinds of disasters. I think what we saw from donors was that giving really increased really right away. So I don't know that that's true the first couple of months of the pandemic when people were taking pay cuts and worried about their jobs. But as it became clear that at least higher income jobs were relatively safe in most sectors and that the stock market stayed strong for so long. People who were in the highest, you know, the had the greatest capacity to give really came through. And I think people at every sector came through, just the people at the highest income tend to make up a disproportionate amount of total giving since, you know, 2% of a big income is more than 2% of a small income, 2% being a sort of average-ish giving figure, household giving figure. And we saw that jump in 2020. We saw that sustain through 2021, maybe even grow. I think we saw that sustain and maybe even grow through 2022. And so when we hear people say that giving's likely to be flat, it concerns me because need isn't flat. But on the other hand, what we're potentially seeing is a plateau at a point that's higher than we were at in 2019. Yeah. So the the flat is what people were telling you. That's one of the conclusions from your survey this year, right? Is that as the donors look ahead to next year, they're saying, yeah, maybe it'll be where it was this year. Right. Uh, and so I think what concerned me the most looking forward is that last year, only 4% of people told us they plan to decrease their giving. 
And this in the, so in 2021, 4% said they plan to decrease their giving in 2022. And I believe it's 17% that told us they plan to decrease their giving in 2023, which is a, a much bigger number than four. But on the other hand, the vast majority of folks told us that they plan to, to stay flat or potentially increase. So I'm optimistic that it will, will be flat as opposed to falling and that flat is relatively good news considering both the growth of the past few years and the uncertainty in the economy. Once you get a sense of the trajectory, right, the the, the intensity or the volume starts to matter. I mean, if something declines, yeah. but it's not much, that's less than if it's dropping 20%. Sure. Yes, exactly. So th- this is a very broad question, but what do nonprofits provide in Yolo <laughs> County that you don't get from, say, businesses or schools or the government or individuals? So there's a few ways I'd answer that question. Um, one is that obviously nonprofits at their core, their they, their mission is social impact. So everything they do is with the goal of providing a positive benefit to the community. That looks radically different, whether you're talking about a community theater group or a food bank or a school or another educational institution. So the specifics vary dramatically, but across the board, their focus is on service to the community. The second thing that that's what sort of makes them different than businesses, right? Businesses provide tremendous benefit to the community, but at their very you know core, that's what the, the reason for being for nonprofits. Obviously, that's true for governments as well. And so there, what I think nonprofits are different is that they really express the specific impulses and goals and values and vision of individual community members. So whereas government is a sort of a major actor that represents the 220, 230,000 residents of Yellow County collectively, we have, I mean, we have like 600 nonprofits in Yellow County, but that includes every PTA and every Little League and every think tank and so on. So maybe we have something like 150, 175 sort of more traditional community facing nonprofits. And so they vary dramatically from organizations, a handful of organizations with millions of dollars in annual revenue and dozens of employees to a large number of volunteer-led organizations with committed boards that do the work through the, you know, the goodness of their own hearts. I, well, let me pause there and say, I think all nonprofit employees are doing this out of the goodness of their hearts because most can make a lot more money in other jobs. But, and I hope that they're well compensated for the tremendous work they do in the community. But just the point being that Nonprofits are the expression of the values of the people that are involved in them. And that allows the community so many different perspectives and so many different community members and so many different needs and causes and passions to be reflected throughout our community. Yeah. I should mention here, uh, I mean, I, I'm doing this program for KDRT, which is Wonderful a community. We are. We're part of Davis Media Access. And, and you know, that's a nonprofit. So it's tremendous nonprofit in Yellow County. And it's yeah. a nonprofit that provides a lot of service to other nonprofits and helps build the capacity of the local nonprofit sector. Yeah. Well, I, maybe this gets back to your point about why the foundation exists in the first place is that how, how many nonprofits did you say in the 600? In 600 the total. I mean, there's there's about 600 registered with the attorney general's office. Okay. So that includes some that have fallen away. That includes some very micro or sort of specifically focused nonprofits that might not come to mind when you're thinking about the nonprofit sector. Yeah, but it, that's a, a pretty large collection, I guess, is my point. And I can see where uh, running a nonprofit, I, I've been on a couple of boards myself, you start to think, well, how are other nonprofits uh, dealing with things? And yeah, absolutely. You, know, you can use a central. So you were talking about donors. Do you ever 
talk with donors yourself. So the nature of our work is that we offer different kinds of philanthropic vehicles. One, so a, a example, probably our one of our most common types is called a donor advice fund, which is like a mini foundation. So donors can set up a donor advice fund with us, put money into the fund, they get the tax deduction when they put the money into the fund, and then they give money out over time. And so out of our 90 fund holders, I would say about half to two thirds are philanthropic families that have set up donor advised funds, scholarships, or other types of funds with us. Okay. I get a sense you have, uh, you have opinions about where need is great yourself, where you'd like to see people go. Do you ever talk with donors about that and sort of have a conversation about where they might donate or, or is it more a question of trying to discover what their interests are and finding a home for that interest? Both, but all of the above. So mm-hmm. we try to, one one of the things that we do in our work to support donors and to help them achieve their giving goals is to provide education around community needs. So for instance, last year, when everyone was locked at home, we did a series of Zoom panels focused on several sort of critical community needs in Yellow County at that time, which were food security, housing security, mental health, and then sort of the specific needs of children and families And then a a fifth panel looking at where do we go from here. We also do an annual state of the Yellow nonprofit sector report that's intended to help donors donors and other community leaders understand what our nonprofits need in order to support our community members. There's conversations then that occur along those lines. uh, Absolutely. We're going to do a quick station ID. We are talking with Jessica Hubbard. She is the executive director of the YOLO Community Foundation. I'm Bill Buchanan, and this program is Davisville on KDRT Radio in Davis, California. Do you have a sense of how much money YOLO County residents give? I was scouting around a little. I came up with a number. I don't know how credible it is, but I looked at uh, one reading of how much money Americans give collectively, and then I took the population of the U.S. and divided it by YOLO, and I came up with about $314 million. Do you have a sense of how much giving YOLO generates? I don't, but I think it's dramatically less than that. And the reason is, is that Yolo County is a um, very interesting place in that there's a lot of wealth in addition to a lot of poverty, but we don't have the extreme wealth that you get in a lot of other communities. So giving is so disproportionately impacted by income because people give, you know, obviously as a percentage of their, their capacity to give is directly related to their income. And so where you see the biggest giving is where you have billionaires, right? And centimillionaires and Fortune 500 companies and major institutional foundations. And we don't really have that here. We have wealth, absolutely. A lot of our wealth here is disproportionately tied up in land, which isn't necessarily the kind of the kind of wealth that can kick off a $100,000 cash donation. I mean, it can, of course, but with the same frequency that it might if our wealth is mostly in people's stock portfolios. And we just lack some of the deep pools of wealth, whether individual or institutional, that tend to be the major engine besides char- behind charitable giving. Tremendously generous community. I don't want to discount the tremendous generosity of Yellow County donors. I think that one of the most amazing things about Yellow County is how deeply engaged people are in the community here and how specifically focused we are on our own community. So in most places I've lived, there's sort of a a bullseye, right? Where like there's a city in the middle and the concentric rings that are oriented towards the city. And I think if you ask people in Sacramento, they think that's true. But here in Yellow County, I think we know that's not, that we're, we're not a suburb of Sacramento in the way you would expect 
given the proximity. And that investment in the local community is this amazing asset that Yellow County has, but unfortunately it doesn't necessarily have the, the cash wealth to back yeah. that up with major, major gifts. Well, and I also think of Yolo as not having one, I mean, Davis is the largest city and the university obviously dominates, but it's not like the rest of the county is just an adjunct to Davis. I no, mean, not at all. Very, very different uh, centers here, uh, particularly Winters, West Sac, Woodland, and mm-hmm. then Davis. Absolutely. So I was looking at the survey results, and it does ask donors which categories they plan to give more to next year. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was interesting. The largest category by far was civil rights, social justice, advocacy. And these are categories that you have in the survey. The next closest category, but still a good deal lower, was youth development. And I was wondering if we can read these results as a marker of what people consider to be the top local priorities, or is this more just the top unmet local priorities? I think there's a difference there. You know, there's the, in other words, someone might think something is very important, but it's more or less taken care of. And then they focus on something that they think is important, but not taken care of. Yeah, I think that's a very valid perspective. I think that's very true. I also think that whether people think the need is being met isn't necessarily connected to whether it's actually being met, but sort of what they're hearing about in the media and in their circles. I do think that it's probably this, the results are probably more reflective of people's personal interests than in that question of unmet need. But I do think whether or not they think the meeting need is being met as a factor. Okay. I was wondering if that high ranking also reflected the influence the last few years. I mean, there's been a lot, the, the social causes uh, that people pay attention to have intensified, changed somewhat, perhaps Black Lives Matter, uh, gender equity, uh, and so on. Do you think that that high ranking in the local results is a reflection of that? Yes, definitely. I do. I do think it's a reflection. I also suspect that it has a little bit to do with what, how much people have historically given. So, you know, civil rights, social action and advocacy, I think is both absolutely a reflection of Black Lives Matter and other sort of major political and social issues in the last couple of years. And I think it's probably also reflective of the fact that that hasn't necessarily been a pillar of people's giving in the past. So, you know, food, education, some of these housing are people things people maybe tend to always give to. Certainly more, more needed now than ever, unquestionably, but maybe more on people's radar. And so they, they plan to sort of sustain. Whereas some of these causes like civil rights that have been less on people's radar and have been really top of mind recently are they're more likely to, to indicate mm-hmm. that they're going to increase their giving. The lowest category was recreation. Just 1% said they plan to give more in that area. What do you make of that? Well, so these categories come from like the taxonomy of nonprofits, right? Like we didn't make up these categories. These are sort of general sort of standard categories for how nonprofits are categorized. And I suspect recreation, well, two things. One is that I don't know that it's abundantly clear to people what's included in a recreation. And secondly, like by the very name, it sounds like a nice to have, right? Like recreation equals fun. Obviously, you I could come here and probably tell you five reasons that recreation is critical to youth development and and human development and so on. But it's not when it's next to mental health and housing in a survey. It definitely, I think, feels less pressing. Yeah, I mean, it it didn't surprise me in a way. Uh, Maybe the fact that it was so low compared to the others surprised Mm -hmm. me a little. Because after all, we do hear, you know, campaigns for time to time for, you know, more play fields or a new stadium or something like that. I do Um, think that what people say they're going to do in a category and how people respond to specific asks 
differs. So people might say, I'm not planning on giving to recreation. But when people hear about a specific need in their community, it's going to have this and that impact and is driven by this and that need, that they're not necessarily going to say, oh, that's recreation. I don't care. They're going to say, oh, that matters to me for X and Y reason. I do think that these numbers matter in the sense of trends. Like in particularly, it jumped out to me that arts and culture had close to 13% of people saying they plan to give less and arts and culture has really struggled the last couple of years. This is probably the third time I've said that because we're just wrapping up the Davis arts and culture grant. So it's very top of mind, but that's a sector that's really seen their revenues dry up while being remaining critical to the community. One thing you say about the survey that, that I appreciated you caution in the report about the limits of the survey too, which is to say who responded most of the respondents are white, most were older than 50, and a majority, not a large majority, but a majority live in Davis. Now, I imagine that's not by design, right? That's just- no, it's definitely not by design. I think that is a reflection of two things. One is the limits of our network. So this went out you know, through our network, through the networks of other nonprofits, as well as through some paid media. But the other thing is that wealth is concentrated among people that are older, people that are whiter, just probably disproportionately in Davis, although I'm not sure about that part. And so giving is tied to wealth. Again, like I've read in the past that people at a lower income give at a higher percentage of their income than people at a higher income. So this, what I'm saying is not reflective of people's generosity or their commitment, but reflective of their capacity to give. And so, and we know that wealth is, is concentrated in older and whiter communities. You know, I imagine from your job, you have a lot of ways of sort of knowing what the needs are, what what people are giving uh, to, maybe what they're not giving to. What didn't the survey discover that you think is true, maybe in terms of, of giving or giving patterns, particularly among groups that aren't represented by the survey? <laughs> Asians, for example, uh, and Asians and Latino, Hispanic. Between those two, that's almost half of Davis. Mm-hmm. Yep. But they're not really reflected in the survey. There's a lot of giving in those communities as well. Of course, absolutely. So what do you... What do you see in that category that maybe the results uh, in the survey don't show? That's a good question. I don't I don't think I have a good answer to how the survey is not reflective of different racial groups. I do think about different socioeconomic groups. Um, so, for instance, one question we asked, it was included in the survey, but I didn't include it in the report, was r- about people's giving to things like GoFundMe. And what I don't actually have the, the research to back this up. I suspect that people at lower economic in lower economic brackets are much more likely to give through mutual aid. So to the people that they know in their community, to GoFundMe's of people in their network or a degree removed, to their friends, to their neighbors, because there's more direct need in their community. And so the US tax code prioritizes people who give to 501c3 nonprofit organizations, because that's what the government can verify as a charitable donation. But I think that there is a tremendous amount of giving in low income, lower income communities that isn't captured, certainly by a survey like this or by tax returns, because it's informal, but it's critically important to people in need. Yeah, I suppose that's one of the fundamental problems of trying to get your arms around giving and nonprofits and such in general is that it's a very large group. And as you say, a GoFundMe, well, that's no, that's nonprofit giving, but not in the sense that, you know, 501c, which is, you know, a tax uh, structure for giving. Mm-hmm. The survey also says that people like to get information about things they're giving to from websites, from friends, things like that. I was reminded about that listening to you right now, because 
that's what's very powerful, right? And you were saying this about recreation a moment ago. If you hear from someone in an organization, if you can see the need, you're much more likely to respond to a pitch for giving than you will say because of some events or happened or, you know, some flyers or things like that. People give, in other words, where they really feel a connection. Yes, absolutely. I think that's very true. We saw a couple places people indicate, respondents to the survey indicate that they're very influenced by their people they know when choosing where to give and how much to give and so on, how they want to learn about organizations. I also was interested that most of the, you know, there's a question asking, how do you decide, you know, what influences you, whether to give to a particular organization? And most of the things were predictable, right? Like, do I care about the cause? Do I think the organization is impactful? But one thing was, do I think the gift is going to be impactful? So do I think that the, my donation matters? And so, you know, I'm a tremendous advocate for unrestricted general operating support for nonprofits, right? Like, I think mostly we just need to, like, the nonprofits are the experts in the work that they do. We need to give them money to do their work and trust them to use it to the best and highest purpose. But I also know that donors really feel motivated when they feel like their $50 or their 500 or their $5,000 is going to be the difference between whether or not something happens. Mm -hmm. And so to the extent that nonprofits are able to tell that story or even tell that representative story, I think it's tremendously influential to donors. Yeah. I think about that. I went to University of California, you know, I get the pitches every year and, (laughs) you know, it's a huge organization and they say, you know, can you give us a hundred dollars basically? And I think you won't even notice, right. but, but, but if I give that to, you know, I don't know, the Yolo food bank or, you know, name your local charity of choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, that will actually put some food on somebody's table and your, your, your survey, I think half the people who responded said they very much like to give locally, right? That's okay. right. Well, so half said that they give primarily locally And then another 35% or so said they give to a mix of local and national or international organizations. So almost none said they don't give locally or that they don't have a focus on giving locally. And the question was more, is it sort of almost all local or is it a mix of local and elsewhere? Yeah. Well, I imagine as the head of a YOLO community foundation, you're glad to see that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and our donors give everywhere as well, right? So when someone sets up a donor advice fund, they can give to any 501c3 and people do give to their alma mater and to national organizations and so on. But I think that people who are involved with us are involved with us because they care about YOLO County. So we're very near the end. Is there any surprises, anything that really jumped out at you at the survey? You thought, wow, that didn't, didn't expect to see that. The thing that surprised me most and probably concerned me most was that, so I I shared the numbers around 2023 giving expectations. So survey respondents, let me take a look. 21% said they expected to increase giving in 2023, 17% expected to decrease and almost half plan to remain flat. But among major donors, so the people in the survey who told us they give at least $25,000 a year, none told us they plan to increase giving. So that concerned me. Now, the major limitation being this, there were six people in that category, right? There's a hundred or so respondents to the survey, 6% were in that major donor category, which is, I mean, 6% is much more than the percent of community members who give 25,000 or more a year, I'm sure. But it's a small number, right? Maybe we caught some people on a bad day. So I don't want to overemphasize that, but that was definitely the thing that jumped out at me the most and that concerned me the most. Well, I guess that's a question for 2023. Absolutely. We've been talking with Jessica Hubbard. She is the executive director of the Yolo Community Foundation. And we've been talking about their survey of giving in Yolo County. Uh, Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.
I am Bill Buchanan. This is Davis Phil on KDRT. Thank you for listening.